Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. We are here with an episode all about parenting and connecting with your teen children. So it's going to be really fun because we all know that teens are kind of like a a more difficult age as it is supposed to be, which is the first thing that we want you to know. So if your teen is pushing away from you, setting their creating their own identity and really differentiating from you. That's very good. It's what we want them to be doing. We want them to be exploring, pushing boundaries, learning like what's right and wrong for them. And so it's a very hard time though, because their brain is going through what we call a brainstorm that comes from Daniel Siegel. So their brain is undergoing a lot of renovation during this time. It's actually literally killing off previous connections and forming new connections And so if you're to look at like the brain really, really early in life, like zero to three, and then again from like 12 to 15, I believe, that's when you really want to be working on connecting and allowing your child to like learn and grow a lot and helping and supporting them because it really is like when they're creating all new scripts for the rest of their life. So those processes that are formed in early adolescence and late adolescence will be there for the rest of their life, which is really strange until they slowly die off as we all get old. Isn't that also beautiful? So (laughs) there you go. The teenagers are literally going through a brainstorm. And so things can get pretty difficult when you're trying to parent them and get them to make really great decisions and stuff. It can feel like an impossible task. So we have our resident teenage expert, KJ, here today. So let's see what she has to say about this. Oh my gosh, thank you for calling me an expert. I will try to live up to that title. Please do. But I think Jessica's referring to me as that because I worked with teens in residential treatment for a long time. So I learned a lot there about parenting teens. And I want to tell you kind of a lot of the things I told parents that I worked with there so that you can head things off at the pass, I guess, is what I would say. So that if you're noticing some things happening with your teen that concern you, tune into that. Recognize, okay, is this something that I can help my teen with as far as shifting some of my parenting techniques? So, I'm pulling a lot from the book Collapse of Parenting, which I read a while ago, but I remember it because it was very hard-hitting. It's by a man named Leonard Sachs, who is a physician and a psychologist, which is kind of an amazing combo. But I would say I, I read this, and I don't personally have teenagers, but as I was reading it, I was like, man, this would kind of hit you hard if you were doing some of these things in your parenting. And so I recommend it, but I also will just give it like the disclaimer that 
if you're feeling a little sensitive about your parenting right now, it may be kind of a hard read because he really just Mm -hmm. tells it straight. He tells it like it is, which I found to be really refreshing. But I think some of what he has to say could be hard to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just give yourself some grace and realize no one's an expert on parenting teens already and just like accept it for like new information going forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like I'm always sensitive about my parents. <laughs> like I'm always yes. like parents going- are sensitive about their parents yes, yes. for sure. That's just <laughs> like it's a touchy subject. So yeah, there's lots of pressure, and it's okay if you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Oh crap, I've ruined <laughs> yes. them. Yes. But remember, you cannot ruin someone. Mm-hmm. You just be like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna do something different now. Yes, exactly. So the overarching theme in this book is that times have changed in a way where teenagers' primary attachment used to be with their parents, but now it's shifted to being with their peers, which causes a really difficult dynamic between teens and their parents, and it kind of creates this like culture of disrespect where you know, people value their youth over maturity. And I think a really good example and one that the author talks about a lot is the Disney Channel shows. I don't know if you guys kind of remember this. They are so mean to their parents. Yes, from when we were growing up. So disrespectful. Yes. But they kind of paint the parents as idiots and the kids kind of like run the household. was an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So yeah, I see what you're saying. (laughs) Yes. So um, yeah, they're just, there's several shows where like the kids are kind of the ones in charge in a sense of like in charge of themselves. And I don't know, it's a very interesting thing that we watched these shows as kids and then potentially had attitudes with our parents. I know I did. Definitely. So I did not, but I was weird. Like I, I truly did not. But also, I mean, there's always things, but I was not like sassy, mm-hmm. but that's just because I'm not like a sassy person, I guess. You, I wish well, you guys I could see the way her pants. shoulders are moving every time she says yeah. the word sassy. 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 Uh, 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 you know. <laughs> I was quite a sassy teenager. So speaking from experience here, um, but I think it's really interesting that dynamics just culturally in the States have shifted. And it's shifted more here than elsewhere, um, where kids are valuing their relationships with peers over their parents. They're valuing things like um, they're more fixated on things like sports and extracurriculars than like being at home. And well, and now it's like they're way more focused on social media than even anything real in their life, you know? Exactly. So all of this to say what I would, I guess, summarize as being the antidote for a lot of this is be your teen's parent, not their best friend. Mm. I think. Wait, did you mean to say be their best friend and not their parent? No, Jessica. I think let you're me doing say it backwards. Again. We <laughs> okay. need to be our children's 
parents. What I saw a lot in my office. You you are being so sassy. You're saying you're not a sassy teen, but you're being so <laughs> yeah, she, sassy to yeah, me. She became a sassy adult. <laughs> Is this all just, just today. coming out now because you just stuffed it as a teen? Uh, let's dig into that. Are you having a brainstorm late in life? Honestly, it could be that. Some people do bloom 20 years late. It could be that. (laughs) I think it's pretty rare, though. So, as I was saying, Mm -hmm. I think uh, something that I saw frequently in my office was parents being enablers. Mm Mm-hmm. And that that is hard because I think parents are dealing with their teens suddenly not really liking them and then having a hard time with that. And so then they're giving their teens what they want, even when they know it's likely not in their teen's best interest, but it's what their teen wants. So you're saying the way to combat the whole like division of my parents are like outdated and I don't like them and I just want to be around my friends is to be their parent instead of their friend. Yes, because there are they already have friends. Yes. And so, so yeah, yeah. If parents are their friends too, then where's the structure? Where are the boundaries? Where are the limits? Where's the person that is keeping them safe and creating a secure environment at home? where they can come to and feel protected and like there is some sense of control. And I think that when we say like be their parent, we're not talking about like be cold and unfeeling and pushing them away, but we mean be that very supportive but structured and consistent person in their life, you know, and so that they do feel like they can always count on you for what they need emotionally and physically and you know with all of these needs but I think a lot of the parents that I saw in therapy were like oh I'm being their parent and I'm being dismissive and cruel and highly disciplinarian and authoritarian you know versus like I'm being their parent which is being a loving supportive Mm -hmm. constant source of energy and safety in their life you know so just clarifying that's what we mean by being a parent yes exactly An example from the book is there was this family looking for a school for their teen daughter, and they were touring different schools, and there was a school that um, when they went and toured there, this really popular girl gave the tour and took the teen around and gave this girl a lot of attention, and the teen kind of gravitated towards that and was like, I want to go to school here. Even though the parents could tell it wasn't going to best suit this girl's needs. She was just kind of like infatuated with this girl that toured her around and like the idea of that being her friend group. And they toured some other schools that they knew would be a better fit just academically and just as far as like how the school was structured. But they went along with what their teen wanted despite having some of these like red flags about the school And the teen really suffered like when she went to that school and her social situation didn't live up to her expectations. And then she didn't really have anything to fall back on as far as like the structure and the academic portion. And it was really difficult. So 
I think sometimes as a parent, it's like trusting your gut as far as what you feel like your kid needs, um, even if they are like fighting you tooth and nail about that's not what they need. Like, so maybe that's like setting limits on their social media or you aren't getting them a smartphone until they're, you know, a certain age, but they fight you on that. And it's like Jessica said, being that consistent parent that is, you know, looking out for the bigger picture and what their needs are overall. And that can be really hard. Like when you set those limits with your kids and you know that they're positive or that they're going to be positive for them, but then your kid just like really, really pushes back and can say really mean, hurtful things to you and can, but I, so that's like the tough part is like where you have to like sit back in that. And Logan and I always, and granted, we don't have teenagers yet. So, you know, take that, but it's kind of like, we have a five-year-old and we talk a lot about being able to stand behind our decisions. Like if I can stand behind my decision as a parent, like I can, I can get comfort for, for that. Even if like their reactions are really, really big and hurt my feelings and make me feel sad inside. It's like, if I can stand behind what I, what I've done and what I've chosen to do, then, you know, you're acting in the best interest of your child. And I think something to note here that with this shift in attaching more to peers than to parents that we're seeing today, there's an increase in depression and anxiety in this age group because these kids are trying to secure unconditional love from peers and peers don't really have the capacity to give that unconditional love and secure attachment that a parent figure does. And so I think we're seeing just a lot more mental illness in this population, and that's really hard. Um, It's hard to watch as a parent. And so I think if you can be aware of that and you are checking in with your teen and you are, you know, creating time with them, whether that's like family dinner or family vacations, like just creating space where you can be together and not necessarily being that helicopter parent that's like pestering them with questions like, how are you doing? Who are you hanging out with? What's it like? What's school like? But you're just giving them time to be near you. I think you'll find that hopefully your teens will open up to you when they need your help or when they are feeling more anxious or more depressed. You may have a your teens say, you know, mom, I think I need some help, but they don't want you to be that help. And I think that's okay. Like if they are saying they need help and you are like, okay, let's get you into therapy. Let's have you talk to somebody. And they don't want to be like completely 100% open with you. That's okay. As long as there is a safe person that they can talk to, I think that's important. So I think some like little tips and tricks, I guess we can talk about for trying to help you connect with your teen who is like, maybe I don't really want to connect with you. You're not cool. And maybe you're not cool because you have a side part and you wear skinny jeans. My mom actually just called me this week and she was like, I just bought skinny jeans and I'm finally giving in and you're telling me they're going out now. Like she has resisted for like 20 years. She's finally like, okay. And then, sorry, mom, you were too late. But I think really 
what some things you can do that I heard from clients as feedback, uh, the number one thing that my clients would tell me is that they wanted their moms to be off of their phones. Um, and so if you as the parent are always on their phone, then you're always yelling at them to be off of their phone. And then you're like, why do you feel like we don't have a relationship? You know, it's like, because you have a relationship with your phone, not with me. Um, and I had several kids who noted that, that their parent while they were driving was like texting and calling people and not just like enjoying time with them. Um, I think some good times to get in bonding is driving kids to activities because you're just in the car, turn on music, but then don't be on their phone. They shouldn't be on their phone. And then you guys can just talk, which is really nice. And just talk about like anything, whether they talk about school or whatever, you can just like talk about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, you know, things like that. Um, a good tip I heard, like Taylor can talk about this because you're the one who told me this forever mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. Your mom was very good at just encouraging positive things she wanted you to be doing and yeah. positive people she wanted you to hang out with instead of being like, yeah. you can't hang out with them. She was just like, I'm going to make it really hard for you to hang out with them yeah. or really easy to hang out with this person that I do like. Right. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I distinctly remember asking her like, how did you like navigate that when I was a kid? Like, you know, all those like friendships, like you knew weren't super good or healthy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And her, and her direct quote was, I made it very inconvenient for you to hang out with the people that I didn't want you to hang out with. So yeah. it would just be like, oh, like it would just be simple things like there's nobody to drive you over to their house. Like everybody is so busy today or, you know, like, oh, we have this thing or you know, just like stuff. And I'd be like, oh, man, oh, OK. You know, like <laughs> it was it was frustrating. I'd be like, man, we're busy, you know. And then like other times when she'd be like, oh you know, like I was talking to this girl's mom and, you know, she mentioned that they miss you. And I'll be like, yeah, I miss them too. And she'd be like, well, we have some time. Do you want to do this or something? I'd be like, sure. So yeah, I think that that worked really well for Kimala, apparently of just kind of like making it easier <laughs> without, okay. yeah, without being, cause I really didn't feel like there were a lot of times where she was like, no, you cannot be with this person. You cannot go to that sleepover. You cannot go mm -hmm. to that activity. It just like didn't work out. I think another thing is when there are times when you like put down your foot and you're like, you cannot or whatever. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is that you get to say no and set the boundaries, whatever, but they also get to respond however they want. And if you want any chance of them responding in a positive way, instead of like sneaking behind your back and doing it anyway, I think you really have to have open, regular conversations about the why. Because if they can understand why doing drugs, for instance, is dangerous, then they can understand it more and be less likely to do it. And then yeah. the other big thing with teens is for you as the parent to look for the holes in their life that they're trying to fill, like those insecurities and those needs. Some of them are very normal. It's normal to need to be liked at that time. But there's other like I'm relentlessly pursuing the need to be liked by hooking up with terrible people for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so look at that need and try and find a way to fill it in a healthy way. Things like that, like being more aware of what they need than they are, which is really nice and helpful. And then being open and honest about why you think things are good and bad for them, because that's, what's going to click in eventually. 
It's not going to be like, okay, I'm just not going to do it because my mom said no. Eventually they're going to be like, oh yeah, my mom said that when I hung out with this person, I kind of come back depressed and I'm coming back and I'm realizing I'm kind of depressed right now. Like, okay, I'm going to take that in and I'm probably going to hang out with them another 15 times, but then it's going to like click in, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really being their upper level thinking for them, which is what they need during that Mm -hmm. brainstorm. Well, I know that like the element of like trust, like, don't you trust me? Like, I think Mm -hmm. a lot about like the scenario of, hey, I want to go to this party. And then the parents like, oh, is there going to be drinking there? And then maybe, maybe the kid says, yeah, there probably will be. And then mom's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't feel comfortable with you going. I don't want you to be around alcohol. That's like, say she's doing all the whys, you know, like, yeah. People make really poor decisions when they're intoxicated. I don't think it's safe for you. And the kid comes back and they say, well, I really want to go. And don't you trust me to not drink and everything like that? So I I know that that like trust element can be like a big conflict. I trust you, but I don't trust everyone else that I don't know that will Mm -hmm. be there. Yes, 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 yes. Write that down. Yeah. (laughs) There's the script. trust is a big one but I think also like set your kids up for success in the things that you're trusting them with like Jessica Mm -hmm. was talking about how you know the big complaint in her office was teens saying that their parents were always on phones so like take a look at your own use of screens and think about how much self-control you have with screens so none What are you doing to set your child up for success and to like build trust with you? This is the hill I will die on as a therapist. And I'm sorry. We're ready. Everyone listen up. This is it. I'm sorry. You have. Bring them out. Bring them out. I'm sorry if you've already done this as a parent. I'm not trying to shame you. But if you have put a TV in your kid's room. Oh. Or you let them take their phones, iPads, whatever, to bed with them. Oh, no. End it now. End it it's now. true. Because your teen is in their room. Who knows if they have any semblance of self-control to not be mm. on their screen all night. They don't. And sleep deprivation mimics almost perfectly ADHD. So we're seeing now so many kids who are being diagnosed with ADHD and it's potentially because they actually are just watching TV all night night. and they're not sleeping and then they have poor attention spans. They have hyperactivity. They have all of these things going on. And so Mm. that's the hill. I will die on. Like, this is where you cannot be your teen's friend. You need to be their parent. These kids, and I want Jessica to talk about this, they, like, no one was prepared for what social media and what screens would do to society, and especially this generation of teens right now. Like, our generation, we kind of got through it all right because smartphones didn't happen until we were in college yeah. i didn't have pale. texting until like the last two months of high school yeah so like truly we skipped out on that facebook didn't exist 
Mm-hmm. We were lucky. Honestly, oh, looking back, yeah. we were lucky. So I um, actually worked shortly with Colin Karchner, who has since passed away, but he had this great platform um, all about helping save kids by limiting their social media use. And he taught me a lot just about how important it is to notice and what's happening because it is so dangerous. Because we basically went from a world where I'm in high school and I break up with my boyfriend and I'm so devastated, right? And the next day I have to go to my fourth period English class with him and see him and it's just going to be terrible, you know? And so I prep for it. You know, I talk to my friends about it. I go to English and I'm so sad and maybe I cry after because I'm really devastated. And maybe once that day I have to run into him in the hall and he's talking to someone and that's hard. But then in between all of these times, I have time to cope. I have time to calm down, regulate my system, pay attention in science class and move on, right? And when I go home, I can focus on other things and I'm not, I'm thinking about the breakup, but I'm not literally knowing what he's doing. Whereas kids these days, they break up with someone and immediately everything about their life is still there on social media. And they're seeing them like other girls' pictures and they're seeing them comment on other girls' pictures. And they have to watch this all day long as they're in English and science and math and orchestra, you know, if they're an orc dork like me, which is really derogatory. Please don't call us that. Jeez. But really it's like they're being constantly bombarded by like, what is my ex-boyfriend doing? And maybe he is not nice about the breakup and maybe he is posting pictures of him with girls on purpose to get back at you. You know, like there's a lot more that comes with it these days. And so what happens is those kids now are carrying around the source of their anxiety and depression in their pocket and they can see it at any moment. And there is nothing stopping them from lifting up that phone 700 times a day. And I bet that is not an exaggeration at all. And they are not paying attention in class and they're not doing anything because they have to be checked in socially all the time. But the problem with being checked in socially is that it's very painful in those teenage years. And so you really need the ability to check out socially, but with the advent of phones and social media, they don't have that. So I'm a big proponent of not giving kids smartphones, not giving them social media. I just don't think it's worth it in a lot of ways. I mean, just the kids that sat across from me in my office, you would never give your child social media if you saw what I saw on my client's feeds because it became at the very end of my working like full-time, I realized that social media was like a huge problem. So I started asking kids to like, let me see their Instagram feed and I would scroll it. The things I saw were uh, terrifying, truly. Like p- pictures of people self-harming, lots of suicide talk, lots of pornography pictures from their friends, um, just so much. And then a lot of people have just like normal teenage stuff where you're posting a picture of you with your friends and then you're like scrolling on a Saturday night and you get hit with this like pang of really that you weren't invited and everyone else in your friend group was hanging out, but you weren't there. Whereas you might not have known that otherwise, you know? And so it really is just like this very difficult thing for teens to handle. And so we're asking them to be able to handle this huge emotional burden and we're giving them no tools to actually be able to do it. 
And so really, I think staying on top of that is hugely important. So when I, so I did this presentation um, with Colin when he was just like barely starting out and I, I was brought in for the sole purpose of calming down the parents after his presentation. So they didn't feel like they needed to rush out and like throw away everyone's smartphones and delete everything immediately because that also will raise the likelihood of your child, like self-harming and becoming more depressed and stuff because they are like basically addicted to this thing. And so that was my job. I came in and I was like, Hey guys, don't freak out. Let's take this slow. We're going to run a program, come and join, you know, all this stuff. And then the next day I sat in my office, my client sits down and she's like, so my mom went to your talk last night. Oh man. Like, yeah. She was like, she deleted everything off of my phone. <laughs> Called like, out. I'm so pissed at you. <laughs> I was like, cool. My job was, I told her specifically not to do that. So like, it's not my fault. Your mom was not listening to me, Yeah, but <laughs> I really do believe that. I think that if you have given your child like full access to a phone and all of social media, I think you have to start to slowly close in the parameters like one by one. Like give me all today. I want you to give me all your passwords to all of your accounts and I'm going to start checking in on your phone once a day, you know, and then based on what I'm seeing when I'm checking in, then maybe I'm going to tighten the reins more and more and more. Um, I think that kids should absolutely be allowed to have phones I think there's definitely a time and place for that to be a smartphone, but it's so important that you teach the child how to use it. And so I think you have to say like, okay, here's your boring flip phone. And then I'm going to watch and see how you do with it. And if I'm seeing that you can handle the flip phone just fine, then I'm going to move up to a smartphone and have the same guidelines and whatnot. But if you see that like that child is flipping their phone open like 700 times a day and is still so attached to it. Like obsessive about it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, maybe we're not ready for anything greater than this, you know? But I do think it's your job as a parent to teach a child how to use social media, how to use their phone appropriately. It just is realizing that there is so much scary bad stuff out there that you have to really be on top of it. Like in my class, I had this beautiful picture of like, so I had gotten on the explore page on Instagram, which was immediately pornographic for me. Right. And then, um, I ignored all of my porn images or whatever. Right. And then, it started popping up with Disneyland stuff because I was going to Disneyland and my phone knew that. And then the wild thing is the day I got back from Disneyland, no more Disneyland porn showed up again, right? So you have to realize that this is what your child is seeing if they're on Instagram. And so you need to be so aware of what they're doing because otherwise they're getting into stuff that you would have no idea of. And so you really have to work on building that trust and building their brain to be able to handle it rather than like it's all or nothing. But I do think until they have shown they can handle this kind of stuff, then it might be nothing, which is fine, you know. And if you want just more thoughts on this to maybe solidify this and give you the motivation to do some of this hard stuff with your teen, watch the documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And it's like 
all the creators all of, of Facebook, social everything. media, or Facebook, Instagram, Google. and they basically say they don't allow their own children to have smartphones and social media. So yeah. if that doesn't tell you what they're seeing. Yeah, because then you like bump into the whole, well, every everybody has social media and then your kid doesn't have social media and they have that like innate need to belong, right? Yeah. And so and then everyone's they're struggling with about that. Something. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah. Sending memes to each other and posts and yada yada. I'm like, you'll find out about everything that's good because someone will show you. Yeah. And so it is like, it's not impossible, but it is hard. And that's why you really have to be in tune with your kid, what they need, but be the parent. But then also part of being the parent is teaching them how to handle stuff. And so trying to figure out how much they can handle, what they can handle, and then how do I like slowly increase their capacity to handle things and be smart Mm -hmm. with it and stuff like that. Yeah. My older brother, when I was growing up, really wanted a cell phone. (laughs) He would like leave newspaper ads of Nokia cell phones on my mom's desk and on the table and stuff. And she, and she would always, he'd always be like, everybody has, I mean, not everybody had a phone, but you know, all the, all the cool people had phones. So he'd be like, everybody has a phone. She'd be like, great. You can just use theirs then. Like, why do you need a phone when you can just, (laughs) everybody has one. You can borrow one at any time. Like, That's free for me, so done and done. So really, I think what we're saying as far as a parenting style that could be great for parenting teens is short-term discomfort for long-term benefit. It's going to be uncomfortable setting these limits for your teens. It's going to be uncomfortable setting boundaries and not just being their best friend. But long-term, it's what they're brains, bodies, well-being need. Yeah. And it's not always uncomfortable to set the boundary. It's uncomfortable dealing with the response to the boundary. Like Jessica said, where she said, you can, you have to set a boundary, but then you really have to give them a chance to speak afterwards and to tell you how they feel and to keep that open communication. And that's the hard part is listening to all of that because can trigger a lot of tough feelings inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. So go out there. Remember that your teen is a beautiful, vibrant teenager and they will be fine. You just need to help them along a little bit. Mm-hmm. Best of luck. And if you have more questions on this, let us know. We can definitely answer follow-up questions because it's hard. Yeah. And it was our job, so we do have some yeah. answers. Yes. All right. Sayonara. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com. And if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.